self-serving persuasive talkers of everything and nothing. We are Conversation Con Artists. going on this year mr point we are conversation con artists back for another wonderful fantastic episode you can find me on twitter and instagram at mr m-i-s-t-e-r underscore on point uh again red is not here with us but we have what i'm going to consider a special guest with us today in the form of my brother i am currently in l.a preparing to fly out back to Alabama and uh, I just wanted to have a conversation with my brother and I wanted y'all to um, be introduced to him get to know him uh, if you watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine or Shameless or Curb Your Enthusiasm or Two Broke Girls or a number of other shows you might have seen him run across the TV screen uh, but Y'all going to want to take this conversation to heart because when he becomes famous, y'all going to want to go back and be like, I done heard about him before. Anyway, uh, what's up? What's up, man? Um, this is Dean Sharp, known to uh, Eddie as JD. That's my nickname. Uh, James Dean is my, my government. Um, but yeah, I go by Dean because James Dean is a tough name to... Uh, Compete with in the acting world. <laughs> Have, when you tell people that, what kind of response do you get? Um, well, your name is James Dean. That's crazy. You know, uh, <laughs> usually they, they get a little shocked by it, but it, it's a cool conversation starter. And that's probably one of the best things about it. And you named after Granddaddy. Yep. Granddaddy was born in 1924. James Dean was born in 1939. So we got the name first, motherfuckers. <laughs> Damn right. Anyway, look, this is going to be a conversation that I want to have with my brother. Just about our upbringing, how we experienced brought us to where we are. As y'all know, I'm a mental health therapist. So I spent a lot of time interpreting my life, people's lives around me, my childhood, my upbringing. And honestly, together and we saw nearly all the same shit at the same time we just interpreted it in different ways and uh, i just wanted to have a conversation about our childhood and growing up and maybe this will give y'all some insight and and push y'all to think a little bit about y'all's upbringing and trying to figure out uh maybe some things in your childhood that you may have missed and whatnot or maybe it'll encourage a conversation between you and a sibling and you can learn more about your life through their lens and, and what you went through. For some reason, my brother has an immaculate memory for so many little things that I just do not remember. Uh, but to get started in this conversation, uh, I've talked on the podcast plenty of times about like what I consider my struggles growing up and whatnot. So the listeners, if you've been listening from early on, kind of know what I've been going through and whatnot. And whatnot. What would you say growing up was your biggest struggle in our house? Or just in your life at the time growing up? Um, I'll go back to what we talked about the other day when we was uh, on the beach or something. Um, 
how I was telling uh, Shannon, my girlfriend, I was saying, um, you know, I wanted to play an instrument, but I couldn't play an instrument because uh, it didn't work out with, with you, with the piano lessons. I couldn't do the chemistry when I had got the chemistry set, you know, my mama for some reason thought I was gonna take this 14 year old and up chemistry set and blow up the house. So she just took it away from me. And what I did was I found where it was at and just snuck out little elements and little experiments, but didn't have no instructions and just playing with the stuff. So I was like, hey man, I could have been a Nobel Peace Prize winner, you know, scientist. You know, not to, not to, not to say, you know, mama, just didn't want us to do it, but she just was, you know, just was scared. I don't know, but I felt like it was a couple of things that I wanted to get to get into as a kid, but really never got into it. And maybe that's why I really didn't try to jump on the acting train at that at that time, even though I've wanted to do it since I was a kid. Maybe I just didn't do it because I felt like mm, I can't do it or whatever. But when I got old enough, I just dropped everything and came out here to do it. So, so your experience was that there are some things that you felt that you were held back from, from mama, by mama, not necessarily intentionally, but, you know, because she was a baby. Yeah, maybe in grandmama and granddaddy too, because, you know, some stuff they would help out with financially and, you know, sometimes it was because stuff costed money, you know. Um, but yeah, I did feel like that sometimes. So, I always talk about on the podcast how one of my struggles is the church. You know, I tell them that we was in church some weeks, six days out of the week. Um, maybe have a day for break. I mean, that became more lax when we were older because she could leave us at home. Um, I'm talking about Sunday. We would go to church on Sunday morning. Then we would go to Sister Thornton Church. You remember that? Mm -hmm. That, like, jail in LaGrange, that abandoned prison or whatever it was that we was in um when we were younger and mama was at faith mission we used to go to the prayer group stuff with her mm -hmm. choir um, rehearsal choir tuesday would be free day most of the time wednesday we would go to bible study thursday it'll be kids choir practice friday it'll be adults choir practice saturday we either choose between going to the nursing home or going to see daddy yeah. You know, I feel like we mostly went to go see daddy. I don't remember times where we didn't go see daddy. So to me, it was like, it was like six days in church and one day in prison. You know what I'm saying? I remember going, we went to the nursing home a lot. But what's the, well, I feel like we went to the nursing home for a span of about five years. We went to the nursing home two weeks and then we went to see daddy two weeks. We didn't go see daddy every week. I remember week. going to the rehearsal. I remember going to the nursing homes, but I don't remember uh, not going to see daddy much. Well, I'm saying we went to see daddy a lot. We went to see daddy a lot more than we went to the nursing home because that nursing home thing was like a little phase in mama's yeah. church stuff. It went. It didn't last as long as us going to see pops did. Yeah, but that's what I remember though, like church and prison. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Which is a crazy mix, but. Um, yeah, that that I think that to me started getting beginning a problem when we didn't want to sing no more. You know, it's like, you know, we got fed up, we got tired of it, and you know, after we stopped singing, we did have a little bit more free time. 
because we were singing at the nursing home sometimes, you know. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, yeah, I, I definitely remember that time, and I don't know how it affected me. I guess at one point it made me not want to be in trouble, get in trouble, but. You remember, I, I tell people sometimes, I used to steal when I was in prison. <laughs> and I'm like, you remember uh, you remember the quarters? I remember having a bag of quarters when we went to there. Okay, so I went. I used to go through this stealing phase where I was just like, I was getting everybody, you know. <laughs> I was getting mama, I was getting granddaddy. And then, so we used to go to prison, and, and, and during the visitation, they would have all these vending machines, so, you know, the inmates and the, the visitors could have snacks and stuff. And I guess because it was cheaper than the commissary, we would always, like, Daddy would always get a, um, a lemon meringue pie, a bag of bugles, um maybe a peach knee high, something like that, or whatever. And a caramello. And a caramello. And um, I remember we could we would get one thing or two things, but Daddy would always just have a whole bunch of shit because you know he fucking in prison. And um, I used to be like, man, I want I want my own stuff. So I used to while we was all at the table talking, I would I would look at everybody while they distracted and just reach my hand in the quarterback like every five minutes and just take a quarter. And I was doing this for like a month. <laughs> like a month straight just snacking those quarters and I'd go into the snack machine and they'd be like where you getting this money from I'd be like I just had it <laughs> you know and I used to always have, you know the thing about stealing when you was a kid is that lying comes hand in hand with it cause when you fucking 7 or 8 years old and you pop out at a $20 a bill at, at Piggly Wiggly your mama's like where the hell you get this from <laughs> Chris Story and Chris Story was my fall guy every time. Yeah, man, he don't know nothing about that, but yeah. And so this is what happened. This is what happened at the end of that, and you a part of this. So I stole all these quarters one time, and I remember I had them in my top shirt pocket. And we went into the bathroom. I remember like it was yesterday, and we was just playing around, and um. I, I was like, some of you bet me I could do a cartwheel. I was like, I'll do a cartwheel in this in, up in here. And I did a cartwheel, and all the quarters just fell out of my pocket all over the bathroom. Like, ching, 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 sound like Sonny the Hedgehog just hit one of those little spiky rabbits or something. And it's just coins everywhere. And Eddie looked at me dead in my eyes and said, I'm going to tell. <laughs> And I was like, no, man, no, come on, man, don't do it, man, no, man. And you went right up to grandmama and daddy, then and you told him, JD been taking the quarters. And yeah, I got in trouble about that. I remember that. Stealing in prison. Mm, learned my lesson. I had a strong moral compass back when I was a kid. Nigga, you still got a strong moral compass. I do, but it was in some areas. Mm. <laughs> so, what was your, like, What's your perception of other experience of going to see daddy in jail? Because I don't tell my parents families in the court system don't, don't let kids go see their daddy in jail. Not without some better way to do it. You know, like we should have been able to walk down there and see daddy already sitting down in that room. But I remember as we were coming down the stairs, they'll be shuffling daddy in with little chains on his legs and with the handcuffs behind his back. They unchain them and then he'll come hug us at the little front room before we go into the main room. Didn't they like 
search them in front of like yeah they did looking? they did everything they did all of that yeah so like looking in his butt they would do they were doing all of that stuff yeah that's weird. so what do you think that impact see that Nah, man. I, more than I, I, more than I remember, um, that little process of daddy is. I remember when he would come out and how excited we was to see him. Like that's that's what I remember. Like every time us just waiting, every time us just waiting, anticipating him coming out, and him coming out, and us getting a hug and a kiss, and you know. Yeah, I just I just remember I used to just enjoy being with daddy. And I, I know we was in prison and we had a good understanding of prison, just like when we did our identity stuff in kindergarten. And they say, you know, well, what does your daddy do for a living? We say, well, he in jail. We always had an understanding that he was in jail. He locked up because he was selling drugs. Like, we always knew why daddy was in jail, what he did. And we didn't know when he was going to get out. But uh, no, that was a part of you do bad stuff. You 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 go to jail. You know, I, I think we had a clear understanding, especially with Granddaddy. Granddaddy wouldn't let us forget that. You know, um, but nah, it, it didn't bother me. Anything it made me not want to go to jail because I felt like you know we already spent the uh, spent time there. Yeah. Now there's some shit that's thrown me off about you. You stay saying now that you always wanted to act. I ain't never known. That. I mean, you know, that's the thing, you know, just because I, I feel like sometimes we hold stuff off internally, especially when you m might not feel that it's possible. Me personally, I feel like it wasn't possible. We had the church plays, we had the school plays. You know, I just didn't know how I could try to pursue acting and be on the, one of those Disney Channel TV shows when I was a kid, but I always wanted to do it. Always got caught up in the movies um you know uh, i remember at a young age you know watching drummers and crying and you know just being so infatuated with the characters just always wanted to do it just really never felt like it was a, a outlet or or a way to do it i don't know if it's more that i don't feel like i would have been supported as far as i just didn't know you know you know how i could do that being in lynette alabama but maybe if I did have more confidence that I would be supported, maybe I would have brought it up then. And I, I, I think I, I think I did at one point, you know. But I can't remember. Here, there is a dog. The dog is crazy. Man, she ain't crazy. She just misunderstood, and we gotta be patient with. A lot of Oh, that sounds like a quote from somebody. No. It probably is. Nearly damn everything has been said at this point. But. Yeah. Who cares? Uh, so, the California life. How was the transition from the South to the, to the California childhood? Um, well, I feel like, well, you know, uh, before I came out to California, I was bouncing around. I was the guy that was like, man, you know, it, it's more opportunities somewhere. They'd be like, well, I don't know, but I go looking for it. And um, I went from Lynette, Alabama, city of 6,000 to Huntsville, Alabama, you know, over 200,000. 
then went to Charlotte, North Carolina, then went to Te- uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, then went to uh, Brenham, Texas, right outside of Houston, then went to Alabama, went to Daytona Beach, Florida, went to Atlanta, back to North, well, back to North Carolina, then back to Atlanta. So being in Atlanta and, you know, uh, Charlotte, maneuvering through those cities for a while, you know, it wasn't like I was going from Lynette, which was a city of 6,000, to Los Angeles, one of the largest cities in the in, in the damn, you know, world. Um, but that's being a people person, and um, you know, being in the Southwest, so hospitable, and you just talk to people at random. You know that 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 prepared me to move out here and just know that you know, if, if anything, I was gonna meet people. So that's the only thing I knew about coming out here. It wasn't much of a transition. It was just you know figuring out how people do it out here, and you know just figuring out how it operate, how the machine works. So it wasn't that much of a transition having those little stepping stones before it. Okay. Uh, I be telling you, you came out here and got your weed card before you got your license. Uh, see, by by regulations, you got to get the license to get the weed card. <laughs> but for rec- for the record, guys, well, you don't need it no more because, you know, we, we went recreational. But... They would still say they would sell you the weed card without your license, but then when you went go, went to go buy some weed, they'll be like, "We can't let you in here because you ain't got no license." And if you lucky, they'll be like, "Go bring us a piece of mail with your address on it, and you can get it going." But they would sell you the card before the license. But we we fell into some locals, and they schooled us on the game. That's all you got to do: find a local, a trustable local that'll school you on the game, tell you everything, and you got set up good. That's what's up. Um, so, how do you feel about Los Angeles being that you you live in Birmingham, which is a, a pretty good mid-sized city, but, you know, not compared to Los Angeles. How was the transition for you coming out the first time and now the second time? Man, this shit overwhelming. I mean, there's so many lights, so many sites, and cars. Building, it's like sensory overload for somebody that come from a city of trees and quiet and green. Like to be able to go out, go the fuck outside in Alabama, and it'd be just you hear crickets. Well, this is the city of trees and green for me too, though. <laughs> <laughs> different kind of trees, different kind of green. This shit, like it, it, it's overwhelming, but so it's something to get used to. It's like after two or three days, I get used to it. But another thing is like Southern hospitality ain't here. Like you, when you people walk past you, it's tunnel vision. You don't exist when walk when they walking past you. You know, in the south they be like, "What's up, man?" Nod your head or something to acknowledge that other person. But here, bro, you don't speak unless you need to be spoken to for some reason. And most of the time, it's because of some bullshit. <laughs> like. Most of the time you need to be spoken to, so to speak, is when you've done something crazy in traffic and people talk to you or you work somewhere and they need something from you, you know? <laughs> like, oh, yeah, and the traffic light. I just, you know, the, the lights was all out. They was flashing red. That means you got the four-way stop and you got to take turns, and I just fucked it all up. And one thing about Los Angeles is you will learn some Spanish because <laughs> <laughs> I definitely got called the putos. 
Um, look it up. <laughs> so another thing is, so I come from the South. And, you know, in the South, they bundle black people all up in one hood. And that's everywhere. But if you ain't in the hood in California, you rarely see any black people. You just really like you got to be intentional about going to see black people. And I don't know if that's good or bad as a cultural thing. I, a part of me thinks that it keeps people from really being able to engage with black culture so they don't get an opportunity to really understand black culture. And the places that you have to go for black culture is not the version of black culture that you want people to see. Like when it's Compton. You know what I'm saying? Like with gang activity and the stuff that go on. And if 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 it ain't even that bad in those areas, then just the perception that it's bad in those areas. Because when bad shit happen, it be big shit too. You know? So it's like, that's different, man. It is different. I don't know how I would... I thrive off of black connection. I don't know... I mean, I guess I would grow to befriend a whole bunch of people because I... I can befriend anybody. I got friends. I got all kind of friends. You know, don't matter what orientations, what races, all of that. But like, understanding myself is what I get from connecting with black people. Yeah. And I don't know how that will work here because I'm also not gonna go to the hood. <laughs> you know, just to, just be, to around be around black around people. Black people. Yeah. You know, that's that's not my thing. I, uh, especially if it's a dangerous environment, I would probably have to go to black events. That I felt was safe and comfortable for me to go to and whatnot. I feel it's like it's like you know when you go to colleges, you know even even when I went to Alabama A and M, it was number of black people. It would still be groups of people that like, oh man, what are people from Ohio? What are people from here? Most people from Alabama, but you would have to go look for your group of people that was from Chicago or that was from the East Coast or that was from you know West Coast or Africa or Alaska or whatever it's from. You you, you know you got to reach out and find them. Um, but uh, I think that's, you know, when you look at blackish, man, it seems like that's what it's about. Like when you have a family that's so far removed from the culture and you trying to make sure they stay in rooted, you know, that that's that's a part of just, um, I guess, like if, 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 you, if you adopt a kid that's not your same ethnicity or race, you, tr- you still want to try to find some stuff to get them involved with their culture. You don't know what it is. You'll have to look for it. It's just kind of messed up. Sometimes we have to look for our own stuff. But but like I told you, though, like regardless what area you in, at some point of the week, they're going to have black events. You just got to look for it, opposed to when you in the South, you know that this place, if I'm in Huntsville, I know that um, the, uh, 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 the old green room would be, it's always going to be black. And I know Sammy T's always going to be white. You know, um, that's the thing about the South. They green room ain't gonna have a white night. Sammy T's ain't gonna have a black night. Maybe they do now, but at the time when I was there, they they wouldn't. Um, but out here, you know, you will find more people trying to capitalize that. I feel like it's the kind of the same in Atlanta. You know, that Atlanta is a a, a, a majority uh, black city. You know, the white clubs. The dang on Mexican clubs and sometimes the uh, the 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 Middle Easterns or the, or the Persians or whatever, you know, they'll have a night where it's like, okay, this night we gonna play hip hop music. Hip hop night means we want black people to come. Seem like to me when I party, regardless of where I'm at, 
Um, but still, here sometimes hip hop is is not many black people, depending on where you at. Yeah. Okay. Um, another thing about LA is that, and I ain't gonna say my experience was exactly like it was last time, but they have Korean barbecue, and I think they have Korean barbecue everywhere. But here they have all you can eat Korean barbecue, and they bring the raw meat to the table. And the table has a little like grill, cast iron grill topping on it. It ain't cast iron, but they, it's probably a, a, a steel top. Then you put the meat on it and you cook it there at the table. Like it's a good, good option for conversation and dialogue. But I think this time we we went to the same one we went to last time. But I I think what I realized that this was the kind of the hood one, I guess. Um, the meat placement was right by the door, so we walked in and just saw all the raw meat and saw them putting it in the bowl. It looked like it looked like it was easy to be cross contaminating. It was delicious, but looking at it makes it weird. But I mean, I encourage anybody to go to a Korean barbecue spot here. I guess if it's open, that they haven't been found to be disgusting enough to be closed. They got an A, you know. So they've whoever. Is, Inspected the place is giving it the, the uh, approval. What else? Um, I think that's about it. You know, it, it's just a different place. You smell weed smoke everywhere. You know, went to Santa Monica Pier and Venice Beach. That was a cool experience. Uh, riding bicycles down from, you know, side to side. So let me ask you a question about the Southern hospitality time because it was a couple of moments where you did have those random interactions with people to where it was like more, hey, how you doing and stuff. How are those moments opposed to, uh, you know, well, when you did have those experiences? Well, once, when you're down south, you're shrouded around a whole bunch of people that's going to do this. In L.A. at a certain point, when people come, when people reach out to you, I don't know what it's finna be. You know what I'm saying? Like in the South, I know it's finna be a pleasant experience most of the time with a stranger when it comes to just a general exchange. When he came up to me, the dude on the beach, he was just trying to figure out where he could smoke it. He was hoping I was a local that could school him on something. You know what I'm saying? Hey, what you told him? I told him I haven't seen anybody smoking right here where we at. But the way the wind is blowing the weed smell over here, I would assume people are smoking up on the beach to avoid any trouble, trouble, you know. Um, but I told him I'm not a local, though. I'm from Alabama. Well, a dude came up to me yesterday, and Shannon was, uh, and we was hugging. You know, and Shannon, my girlfriend, was like, well, who was that? You know him? What was that about? I said, no, nah, I don't know him. He just came up to me and said his daughter died this weekend and he needs some prayer. So I didn't think about I it. I saw that dude. That yeah. was, I I know I know you were praying for him. I just didn't know. I just, I knew you were praying for him. I was like, dang, that was a random encounter. The, a dude with no shirt with a loop earring in. Yeah, but he had a dope ass aluminum bicycle. I saw that. But yeah, and he came up very aggressive and he was like, we pray for me, so I prayed for him. Then he was like, can I hit your black and mild? And I was like, mm, nah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you know, I don't know what he felt or whatever, you know, but what he was going through, 
you know, somebody tell you, you like that, that took five minutes out of my day. You know what I'm saying? Most people would have just ignored them, you know. But then you never know what somebody like that could do if they've been getting ignored all day. You know, I might have ignored them and the next person ignored them. He might have bust their head open. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, I don't know, man. But I, I know he, 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 hopefully he got some positive energy. And at the end of the day, that's that's what's on my Instagram is positive, positive energy distributor. So, uh, that didn't cost nothing. That didn't take nothing out of my time. If anything, it gave me a story to tell. Yeah. You know. Um, so, yeah, you do get different encounters like that. Different, you know, interactions. And I think we was only like uh, not even 100 yards away from where the dude came up to you and then where we went up to where uh, old buddy came up yeah. to me. You know, but that's Venice Beach. I had an interaction with a dude at the bathroom, and most of the people that are interactive with you are, uh, are either just really nice people or, or most of the time transients. You know, um, uh, you know maybe transients just you know want somebody to talk to. People intimidated of them because they might not be clean or they might look what people would say crazy. Um, but most of the time, you'll have a better conversation, a more real, more grounded conversation with somebody who is presumably crazy, opposed to just a regular person who might got some Gucci on or, or whatever, you know. So, you know, it is what it is. And I tell people all the time, because I hate when I tell people I'm from the South. And they be like, oh, man, I don't know how you grew up over there. I don't know. I'm talking like a slave. They be like, oh, man, I don't know why you grew up over there, how you grew up over there. And, um, you know, with all the racism. And I'll be like, man, look, first off, I'm going to tell you this. I know racist people in Alabama that's nicer than the liberals out here sometimes. Because, and I say that the South, Southern hospitality, I think is rooted in religion. You know, the Bible Belt. So, Back home, and I've had this happen to me where I'm walking in the rain from Red Lobster, white dude pull over in a pickup truck with a gun in the goddamn uh, rack, and like, hey man, you need a ride? And I'm like, yeah. And he say, well, you know, I would, I, I, I'm telling you, man, a couple years ago, I would have never picked up somebody like you, but since I found the Lord, the Lord told me to stop and pick you up and give you a ride home and talk about, talk to me about Jesus the whole way. That would never happen here. That would never happen here unless, like, I was doing it, you know, or something like yeah. that. Um, but but it's it's different. It's it's a different type of thing. Even though you might have somebody in the South that's racist, they still sometimes might believe in the Lord. I think the biggest issue is the racist people that don't have any religion and no morals because some prejudice in the South is still rooted by, uh, rooted by religion. So... It's really not, you know, as as bad as people think, in my mind. But out here, you get racism that's rooted in goddamn money, and it's 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 a different feel because racism is everywhere. Prejudice, prejudice is everywhere. Like I was telling my brother, once you get outside of Los Angeles and you go into some places, Orange County or north of of, of L.A., you find you find Confederate flags. I, I've seen more Confederate flags out here than I've seen in Alabama. You might get a Confederate sticker on a on a damn car or maybe a motorcycle, but I don't recall just seeing Confederate flags floating in front of people's houses back in Alabama that often. Now out here, when you get into Irvine or, or some of these other kinds, sometimes you see the dang on Confederate flags floating. Sometimes you on the news. Sometimes you see some of these 
kids in high school having Nazi themed parties, you know, and 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 I don't remember seeing much white supremacy stuff when I was back in Alabama, but I see more of that shit out here than I do out there. Yeah. I don't know what the explanation is for that, brother. I don't know what that about. <laughs> What's that about? You know, telling. So, when we got out here, we saw one of your shows. Yeah. Uh, improv. Yeah, so it was an improv show. This go around, uh, you saw Improv Max. Um, and if, for the people that don't know what improv is, it's pretty much just making up material on the spot on stage in front of an audience hopefully so a lot of people know of whose line is it anyway which is typically short form and gamey improv but what i do is long form improv where we go on stage and we create scenes maybe two to three minute scenes um and we go for like 25 minutes and we try to make a whole piece out of uh these improv moments and how we start our improv shows typically we ask somebody from the audience for a suggestion of a lot of different random things sometimes it's just anything sometimes it's a food some uh, one group did um they said hey ma'am what's your name hey sir what's your name give us a phrase that starts with the that has that starts with the letters k and d so um we get those suggestions so people know that we're coming off the cuff and just doing it naturally um, and not coming from no script. And ideally, when people watch it, especially first-timers, hopefully they look at it and be like, oh, they, they had to script that. And that's when you know you did a good job. Okay. So I want to do some improv. So now. Yeah, right now, man. Okay, you know. so, and I'm going to be involved in this. You are going to be involved. So right. you are going to be interviewing this person. We don't know who they are. We don't know what their name is. But, Eddie, you're going to give us uh, a city. Any city in the world and um, also an occupation. And this character is going to get interviewed by Mr. On Point. And they just gonna talk and, and give some spiel. Okay. Uh, city is uh, Atlanta, Georgia. Okay, a town. And occupation. The occupation. You know, I, I'm random than a motherfucker. Okay. Is a leprechaun hunter. Oh, leprechaun hunter. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's cool. That's cool. So now, what do I start the interview? Um, yeah. What's your name? Uh, my name. Oh, is, or do what I normally come up with your name? Oh, you can come up with the name. You you introduce me. Give me an introduction, just like you you gave me an introduction earlier, and I'm gonna get the information from what you give me, and we'll go from there. So, okay. That's where you get your improv in. Okay. Uh, so today I have with me Patch Buckets, who uh, who is a world-renowned leprechaun hunter who operates out of Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah, what's up? <laughs> what's up, Charlie? I operate out of Atlanta, Georgia. 
My name is Patch Buckets. Patch Buckets. Yeah. Yeah, Patch Buckets. Um, I'm glad to be here. This is my first podcast, man. I'm always out there hitting the rainbows hard looking for the leprechauns. So it's good to take a break from the elements and come in here and be able to just, you know, connect with the people and let them know what I do. Okay, so my understanding of leprechauns only comes from Lucky Charms. I don't know anything else about Lucky Charms. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So you got Lucky Charms. You got leprechauns in the hood. Um, you got uh, um, you got the leprechaun that was in Mobile in the, uh, in the, the 90s. Um, I was one of the top hunters on that leprechaun. You can YouTube that right now. Um, one of the first viral videos, actually, was uh, was my involvement. I was behind the scenes, you know, because I'm more into the activities of finding a leprechaun opposed to the media. That's why I'm so proud, so proud, so proud to be here with your podcast, to let the people know who I am and what I've been doing for these years. I, I know those Lucky Charm motherfuckers. And I told them that the demographic and the stereotypes that they have on their leprechauns are not right, but they did not believe in leprechauns' rights. You know, even though I hunt leprechauns, I do feel like leprechauns should have rights. Now, I've never known leprechauns to actually exist. Mm. I've really only seen them as mythical creatures that I don't know if they're real or not. Have you captured leprechauns in your hunting uh, profession? Yeah. I mean, think about it. Can you be a leprechaun hunter if you've never caught a leprechaun? I mean, if you've never caught a leprechaun, you're just a leprechaun chaser. It's like a tornado chaser. You know, they chase tornadoes and sometimes they catch them. And when they catch them, they release them. So you release the leprechauns. What do you do with a leprechaun after you catch? First off, fill me in on what what is a leprechaun. Tell me that. Because, you know, I'm a person that's never believed leprechaun exists. Nobody's ever talked to me about leprechauns in a serious manner. You've caught one. Tell me about leprechauns. Tell us about leprechauns. We don't know what that is. Okay, leprechauns are kind of like any other creature. It depends on the type of environment, the the habitat that the leprechaun was raised in, which kind of mold this leprechaun. So everything positive has a negativity to it, you know. So with that said, you find awesome leprechauns that are great and wonderful, and you find bad leprechauns now this is the thing about all leprechauns all leprechauns have magic and they love gold you know so if you find a on the wide side of the spectrum okay when you have a leprechaun that's good he likes to just take gold and he keeps it and he keeps it in a safe place more like a hoarder you know he won't go across the boundaries to get the gold but he will take it now when you have a a a a a a, a leprechaun on the far end of the spectrum bad he will hurt he will steal you know um uh, um they don't like babies they don't they don't <laughs> they don't like babies for so i don't know if it's the smell of baby powder but they hate babies. So these bad leprechauns sometimes will come in and try to, you know, just uh, mess with your kids. Not in a way that they want to kill them, but they'll just like pop out of the back of a tree and be visible and scare the shit out of them and then just go away. Have the parent thinking that this baby is just, 
you know, out of his mind. But this is what these bad leprechauns can do. And, and, and to adults, it's even worse. It's even worse because how our minds are more solid than these babies. Um, so the best thing to do with these leprechauns is to take them and send them to another dimension where more magical creatures can understand their magical powers and their love for gold. So what I do is I capture them. Um, it's many different apparatuses to the, the catch these leprechauns. But once I get them, I usually send them into a more magical dimension. Now, 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 Mr. On Point, I heard you say that that is something that you don't believe in. But I, I think it's a lot of things that you haven't seen that you believe in in this life. Uh, maybe. What you mean, maybe? I mean, I mean. I mean, I can't see wind, but I can see it knock shit over. Okay, okay, okay. Um, you can't see gravity, but you see it hold shit down. You know, you can't see sun rays, but you feel it warm you up. Exactly. I mean, it's a lot of shit I see that I understand the impact that it's having, even though I can't see it. But I ain't seeing the leprechaun, so when, and I don't know what they are impacting. Look, when you are riding down the road, riding down to 431 in Alabama, and, um, and um, you see a rainbow, you know that feeling that you get inside? Yes. That's a leprechaun looking at you from the distance. That's 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 what that feeling is, man. And then that's why when you look at that rainbow, you know it's some gold somewhere. Should we be afraid of leprechauns? I don't want to sound like a prejudice, you know, um, but they are a concern. They are a concern that if we just do nothing about this issue, we will be overran with leprechauns, and we. We don't know who's bad, who's good, but we we gotta protect the babies. We gotta protect the babies. You know, in Atlanta, you know, it's a lot of black people out there. They don't fuck with magical shit, you know. So it's just better for the community. It's better for the, you know, just the whole uh 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 demographic. Demographic. Um I got a few more questions for you. I'm interested in how you got into this line of work. When when was the first time you experienced uh, had an experience with a leprechaun? Man, this is deep. When I was a baby, you know, uh, I saw a leprechaun, and my my father wouldn't believe me. He would not believe that I saw a leprechaun, and he said, "If you saw it, then go find." You know, and we, we, we country fellas. We know how to get in, in the woods and, and look for stuff and track. And he taught me how to track stuff because we got native in our blood, you know, a Cherokee, black Cherokee. Um, so he told me, if you want to hunt, if, if there's a leprechaun, find it. And I kept looking and I kept looking. And by the time I found that leprechaun, my, my daddy had passed. I couldn't even show it to him. So... I said I will always hunt these leprechauns and make sure that they're not affecting these babies and these, you know, other people like they affected me and changed my life. But I've been dedicated to, you know, looking for these leprechauns probably about 12, 12, 12, 13 years, man. And uh, I'm going to keep doing it. Uh, although I say from the time 
that I was a kid and I, I saw the leprechaun. I say I've been hunting leprechauns my whole life. Okay. Uh, so what can you leave the people with when it comes to leprechauns? Uh, what, which, what should we be doing as a community to help with the leprechaun problem? Do we need to stay out of your way or is there something that we can do if we spot one that will help? Look, man, when it comes to leprechauns, when you see something, say something. You know, just say something. You know, let somebody know that, that, that leprechauns do exist because being that it's a lot of people that don't believe that these leprechauns exist, that does everybody an injustice, a disservice. You know, because if, if one person saying a leprechaun don't exist, it's just gonna leave a gateway for people to misunderstand the creatures for the good and for the bad, you know. So when it come to leprechauns, people out there, when you see something, say something, let it be known. You know, I suggest that with anything, you know, uh, abominable snowman, um, yetis, UFOs. If you see something, say something, you know, because um, it's important. It's important that we spread knowledge. Okay. Well, look, I appreciate your time, Patch Buckets. And, you know, I would like to have you back on in the future. I feel like this is a different conversation. But I think that you let us know that you somehow have access to another dimension. So, <laughs> if you don't mind telling the people where to find you at. <laughs> uh, yeah, you can find me at uh, P underscore Buckets underscore um, Lep Lep on all platforms check it out you know you can find me in the a um yeah let me know see something say something thank you mr on point for having me on um very important uh yeah okay thank you sir and right. until we do this next time all right have a good one okay so that's improv that's improv all of that was off the top of your dome like he did not know what the fuck i was gonna say when I gave the city and the and the profession, we didn't rehearse that shit. No, we didn't. So rehearse. that all that was right off the top of your dome. Yeah, I feel like I could have got into Atlanta stuff more, took advantage of that more. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, the suggestions is just inspiration. You know, uh, um, ideally when you get a you know a, a occupation and specific stuff, you know, it's kind of set in stone, but. Typically, when we go up there, suggestion is just a suggestion, man. Might come up, might not. But, uh, yeah, you know, it was fun. Made that up. Hope y'all liked it. Oh, that was interesting. Seeing it. I mean, it's more interesting seeing the improv show. I suggest if y'all got, like, comedy in your community, go find an improv show to go to. It's it's just different. It's funny. It's off the cuff. It's, It's just a different experience. Um. But uh, it's getting close to time for us to actually head out and head to the airport. Oh. So uh, we got to cut the time with my brother. And uh, and I'm going to finish up the podcast solo dolo uh, when I get back to Alabama. So the next part y'all about to hear is me starting up the rest of the podcast. Look, man, I appreciate you for letting us come out here for the hospitality for just you know being who you are man
you know, I get inspiration from you. And uh, I'm waiting for you to become successful so I can come out here and be your Charlie Murphy. That's what I tell everybody. <laughs> I'm going to stick to it. So I appreciate your time, man. No, man. Appreciate you, bro. Appreciate you for coming out here. Uh, and y'all can find me on uh, I am Dean Sharp on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, yeah, on all of that good stuff. And uh, uh, keep keep, uh, keep in tune because we got we got a uh, Kirby Enthusiasm tenth uh, season. I'm starting uh, next week. This week, actually, I think. Uh, and then um, the episode that I should be in is episode two. And then in March, we have the Lil Dicky Project, uh, Dave, on FX that's going to be coming out. Check out that pilot episode. Very excited about those two projects. Um, This is real cool stuff, real cool people. So y'all check that out. All right. What's going on, people? It's your boy, Mr. On Point, and I'm back. I hope you enjoyed the uh, exchange me and my brother had. I have had a crazy, crazy long week, uh, and I'm doing this by myself today, uh, at least this second little part, because I'm trying to get y'all some kind of entertainment. Uh, me and Red have both had some um, long weeks, mine because I was enjoying myself at a vacation, and hers because she was moving somewhere, but she said that she is in her spot and she is happy, and I am glad that she feels that way. Now... As I told you, I just came in from L.A. And the crazy thing is that it's 3 o'clock in the morning right now. You know, the positive part is I'm by myself so I can do this in my draws, which I am. But it's 3 o'clock. And uh, I'm just going to go through some viral posts. And then I'm going to go through some news that I think is noteworthy. Uh, And then that will be the show for today. Uh, And that, I'm going to leave us with a short show. But, you know, it will be all right. Let's hit some of these viral posts. It was 11 years ago today that my pal James came running out the room shouting, it's a boy, it's a boy, with tears streaming down his face. We never went back to Thailand. Okay, clearly that is a uh, transsexual joke. And uh, I don't know, what would I do if one of my homeboys had an experience where they got, I guess, tricked by a... A transsexual individual. Hmm. I guess it depends on how far they got. You know, are you kissing? Did you touch? At what point did you find out? When you put your hands down in the pants, did you feel some meat? Like, I don't know. That's just an unfortunate situation. So we're going to skip on to the next one. Uh, My grandmother, if your friends tell you to jump on in a well, you're going to do it. My Gen Z cousin, if the pastor told you to, you won't. Me, uh, reaction meme. Damn, that, I mean, I mean, I don't know, for real though, I don't know how many people who attend the church faithfully would actually do something that was destructive because they pastor told them to do it. Uh, You know, in theory, they would, you know, but I, I'm not sure if they actually would. But, you know, challenging a grandmama like that in the black community is not a good idea. I, You know, that person probably ain't, ain't survive. You, 
you don't go at your grandmama like that, especially about no church. If I went at my grandmama about her church activities and my grandmama, look, don't do nothing but go to church, wear hats, and try to look good in her hats. Now, she gets some Jesus, but grandmama going there to stunt on them hoes, holy hoes. That's what she going there to do. Uh, let's go to the next one. The phrase, what you trying to do in the black community can either get you beat up, have you initiating an impromptu sexual encounter with someone, or initiating an adventure you won't soon forget. Damn, that is right. What you trying to do is kind of like a initiating that adventure you won't soon forget. What you trying to do is more like trying to get that sexual encounter. And the other one is, what you trying to do? That's the one that's going to get your ass beat. It's crazy, man, how one little phrase can mean so many things in the black community is good with that, man. And you know what the crazy thing is? As soon as the white community start catching on to what the black community is talking about, the black community just change that shit up. As soon as, as soon as the white community start catching on the drip, it's going to be a whole new word that means the same shit and we're going to let it go. But the creativity never stops with the black community. All right. Stop calling these women queens and sweethearts. These hoes are alcoholic and gang members. Oh, this dude has been hurt by somebody. Probably by his mama. Daddy probably wasn't there. And he done had his heart broken by too many hood chicks. I mean, not even somebody that's sophisticated ratchet. Just regular ratchet. You know, but, you know. It is what it is. Young cats are going to say what they say, and it's, that's just what it's going to be. Next, if I announced that I was giving a TED Talk, what subject would automat you automatically assume I was giving it on? Now, I have no idea what Red would say in this situation, but I'm going to say I will say meet exclusivity, okay? Uh, speaking of meet exclusivity, let's have a conversation about that. Uh, last year would have been meat positivity, but this year is meat exclusivity. And I want y'all to understand what that means. If you don't know what exclusivity means, it means that you have chosen to only do a thing with that particular person or thing. You're exclusive to it. And meat exclusivity just means an opportunity for you and your meat to have a unit relationship. Don't treat your meat like it's something different than you. Value your meat as much as you value yourself. Build that relationship up with your meat. I don't know. Maybe for you, that's a little masturbation. Maybe for you, that's a little self-care, some TLC. Maybe that's a little massage. Don't get a happy ending. Not in Alabama. They're not legal. You're going to get rushed in on like Jerry Jones. Was it Jerry Jones? I don't know. One of those football coaches who got their... Uh, happy endings and got caught up in that you don't want that so don't get no happy endings from a place that is not supposed to be giving out happy endings okay if you want to do that you're gonna to have to go to las vegas you're gonna to have to go to california and find one of them glory holes or rooms or something you know but don't get caught up like that but however you choose to build a relationship with your meat do it okay and I know this sounds really weird how I framed this and how I phrased this, but listen, man, in the community of men, there's a lot of value put on our penis. 
and we start looking at our penis as separate than ourselves, okay? And we need to start looking at them as one. That's my TED Talk. Red is mad. It's okay. Next one. My uncle just sent a message in the family group asking for money. I probably messaged him asking for banking details so I could deposit it. He responded saying he don't actually need money. He's asking for money so nobody in the family would ask him for money. Oh, shit. That is actually some clever-ass shit. How does how would that backfire? I don't know how that would backfire. At what point do your uncle do this, though? Like, either... Your uncle all if either people always ask this uncle for money or not like it's not like like families know who got money somehow you know you're gonna have a whole bunch of people calling you talking about hey what happened to uncle uncle jones no that's the last name what happened to uncle tommy uncle tommy broke now i, I thought he had money he's still working you know people be trying to count your money for you calculate what you got anyway Oh, you know, it would sound like a good idea. Sound like a good thing with friends. I don't know about with family. Let me see. Last one. You're given twenty five thousand and a plane ticket to anywhere in the world, but you have to leave tonight. Where are you going? Um. Hmm. Oh, do it say how far you have to go away? Because me, I'm gonna go straight down to Montgomery. No, and a plane ticket, so I gotta fly there. I'll go to Atlanta. I go straight to Atlanta and then fly right back. Have me $24,500. Because I just need that loot. That can pay some stuff off of me. Why would I pay stuff off with that $25,000? I'm balling out of control. I'm going to go buy me some kicks. Go find me a new car. I'm going to be irresponsible now. I really, I pay my taxes. I pay uh, my taxes off of both because like, I just knock that all the way out anyway those are the viral posts for the week man and uh before i head out i'm gonna get into some news stories that i just wanted to talk about this week and uh y'all can send some input or some feedback to see if that's something you want to deal with when red get back we're gonna have a listener letter out here on the show um voice listener letter uh please feel free anybody to live listen if you are listening to us rant and rave about the shit we rant and rave about and you find yourself saying, man, that ain't right, or, oh, man, I agree with that, or you just have some kind of reaction that you want us to be aware of, then uh, record that or type that or write that and send it to us so that we can get a better understanding of you as a fan and, you know, you can hear how we respond back to you. Let's get into these news stories. I decided to take a nap. A nap turned to me finishing this episode this morning. So I'm going to shotgun some news. All right. Uh, so an update on the Iran situation that we talked about on the podcast uh, last week is that Trump moved to de-escalate. Uh, we didn't know what was going to happen in the situation last week. Um, what I was hoping is that we didn't get put on the brink of a war as we did. And now, uh, Trump is moving to deescalate. He's using words that indicates that 
they de-escalate. Like, you know, our government, and especially Trump, ain't going to say some shit like, oh, no, we don't want war, y'all. Let's stop. But uh, he's starting to use words in his dialogue that indicates that people are telling him that he need to cut this shit out. Um, because what happened is Iran had a counter-strike um, in Kenya at a U.S. base. And then a Canadian plane was shot down. I think it was a plane that was a Ukrainian plane. Uh, and it was a lot of Canadian citizens on that plane. I guess it was headed from Ukraine to Canada. Um, and they say that a missile misfired. Nobody knows. Maybe they shot that plane down on purpose to, I don't know, as some kind of message. Or maybe it was a misfire. Maybe it was an accident. I don't know. I mean, with Iran, it don't seem likely that it's an accident. It just don't make sense that they would target that plane. So it's a balance between Iran crazy as fuck and this one no accident. They did this shit on purpose because they crazy. Or why would they do something that doesn't mean anything to anybody? You know? And Trudeau uh, is mad at Trump because realistically, no, Trump did not make Iran crazy as hell. But Trump probably against a lot of his advisors' word or not having enough advisors uh, in permanent places in the White House that had enough um, pre-existing knowledge about Iran's craziness um, to tell him what the best move was, made a decision, and it created this uh, ripple effect. And so I think that Trudeau is probably mad at Trump because of the ripple effect. Uh, and and that's, that's the situation. Uh, a lot of Republicans are, well, a couple of Republicans are angry because of that briefing. The whole reason this shit happened is because Trump said, hey, there is an imminent threat to America. We got to take Soleimani out. Um, but this was after he did it. Like, he decided to do the shit and then said this is, you know, it was an imminent threat. And then the press briefing they had, it was no fucking imminent threat. <laughs> you know, so it's like, that makes this an assassination. You know, this does not make it America defending itself from a terrorist. You know, Soleimani has been He's a head of state, number one. Okay, so he's not a terrorist per se. He has funded terrorism. He is a sponsor of terrorism. I look at it as uh, other our uh, black ops missions where we go over to a country and extract somebody or go over to a country and assassinate somebody or go into, over to a country and, and impact their government somehow. I We are terrorists to them in that regard. When Obama was sending drone strikes down over a country and killing people that might not have been terrorists, that creates terror for a group of people. You know, so from their perspective, we terrorists. From their perspective, we in their country, you know, creating fear and pandemonium. It's different when, you know, you know that Soleimani is planning to destroy the United States. It's different when he may be funding groups that do it themselves versus him. So I think a lot of people, I mean, a lot of people can be mad at the ripple effect of that decision that Trump made. And the biggest issue is that he made it fucking without Congress. 
He made it without Congress. Like, that's one of the biggest components of this situation. Now, the first time when he dropped them serious strikes, it was cool that there was no Congress involvement because Syria was wilding, bro. Like, Syria was dropping gas on their own people. They were attacking naval ships. They was doing shit like whatever they want to do. So when Trump made that attack, it made more sense because this nigga was crazy. He was doing some bullshit. So Congress can eat that up more. You know, Democrats are mad anyway because, you know, hey, you got to consult with us, my boy. Like, you can't take us to war by yourself. Uh, but they ate it up because he was bullshitting, you know, over in, um, in Syria. But see, this time, there is no evidence that he was bullshitting. So we don't know why Trump actually caused this uh, called this attack. Like, Soleimani ain't the only person that got it in for America. That's a head of state. He not. There's a whole bunch of countries that fund terrorism. There's a whole bunch of people that fund terrorism. And if the route that America is going to take is assassinating everybody that funds terrorism, it's a lot more people in Iran they're going to have to assassinate. It's people in a lot more countries that they're going to have to assassinate. This don't fix the problem. When a head of state funds terrorism and you kill him, if the next leader and head of state that fills his position has that same mentality, he gonna fund terrorism too. Except now he's funding it with a much more harsh view of America, with a much more vengeful view of America. Especially if that person who replaces him was somebody who looked up to Soleimani. Now you know in those countries you always have a possibility that there was always somebody waiting for that person to die or or go or be removed. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if somebody like that who was looking to take his place was the one who gave, you know, most of the intel to help with the situation. I don't know. But if that person loved him, they going to retaliate. If that person hated him, they going to make it look like they loved him so that they don't bring up no suspicion and then they going to retaliate. So, like, that's how these kind of things work uh, in foreign policy. And listen. At the end of the day, America, we're a part of why the Middle East is destabilized. We're a part of why some of their leaders are gone, are Saddam Hussein, and maybe it made some people happy, but it made that country vulnerable enough for other people in the Middle East to come and try to take it and to consolidate power. And hence, America had to stay there. The reason that we've been in Iraq for so long is because we've made ourselves a necessary placement in order for that the group of people to, to, to get their power structure set up so that somebody like Russia and China can't court them and take over, which won't be good for us. Imagine if somehow Russia and China took over all of the rest of the world. They had access to all of the other nukes. They had access to all of the other resources. They didn't need America for shit. How much longer do you think it would be before they come for us? And that was the problem with uh, abandoning the Kurds. Because the Turks want to wipe the Kurds out. And the Kurds, Kurds are everywhere. And as a country, as a country, the Kurds have helped. Uh, well, they're not a country. 
but they've helped us as a country. They've helped us a lot in a bunch of different wars, a bunch of different things. And, you know, Trump moves on this idea of nationalism where we don't need nobody. All we need is our own nation. That ain't how the shit works. Our government created a system where we are the world's police. We go around and we supposed to be the moral compass. Uh, we do underhanded bullshit, but apparently it's supposed to be for the greater good of everybody. And Trump come in and make us look like a bully. I mean, Trump come in, he's praising all of these ruthless dictators who carry out assassinations all the time. And here he go, carrying out the same kind of shit. It, it's just, you know. I don't know what I'm supposed to expect out of America. Um, I don't expect too much because, you know, I look at it through the lens of a black man and the black man pl plight is different than the uh, American citizen plight because sometimes we're not viewed and looked at as American citizens. Um, but it is what it is. Um, you know what? There is a senator named goddamn... Wait a minute. What's his name? In these articles, they don't be telling you the name of shit. Okay, until the middle of the article. John Rogers, a Democrat in Vermont, introduced a bill that would ban cell phone use for anyone under 21. Um, According to the legislation, there are links between cell phone use by people under the age of 21 to a rise in driving fatalities, suicides, mass shootings, and terrorism. Uh... There are no more mass shootings than than in the eighties. Well, let me let me. It's more complicated than this because it depends on how you define mass shootings, and because mass shootings are more prevalent today, they're being defined slightly different. There is no current widely accepted definition of the term mass shooting. Uh, so. It depends on how you define mass shooting and what charter graph you're looking at to determine how much is increased. Yes, uh, mass shootings have increased um, as a whole. Um, if you take away how many people have died, because right now mass, mass shootings are being defined right now as by how many people were shot. At some point it was defined by how many people had died, you know, I've seen it defined as just how many people were in the present when the shooting happened without four people dying. I don't even know who came up with the number four. Um, and then they don't count. They don't seem to count like um, black violence in this shit, right? Like if, if five people got shot at a concert, uh, or uh, or black folks at it, or if um, the black community, like the Hood of Projects or something in Chicago, if they don't count that shit as mass shootings, like they don't count that shit in the statistics. I don't, I don't know why. Like you never see though, like when because the definition. So it, it's weird, man. But but to say that there's a link to cell phone use in mass shootings uh i guess you can look at anything that came about in the 1990s and say hmm there is a connection to that thing and mass shootings like i don't 
I would like to know the evidence that links cell phones to it. Every fucking body got a cell phone, but mass shootings aren't happening in an increased enough manner to say this got shit to do with cell phones. To say that cell phones themselves are the reason that these shootings are happening. Because every fucking body got a cell phone and everybody ain't no fucking mass shooter. Driving fatalities. Yeah, driving fatalities increased. How do we know that it's about cell phones? Because without a cell phone, there is just as much technology in cars now. There are GPS units, there's radios and music. There's so many different things that can take a person's eye off the road. You know? And yeah, I know cell phones is a component to that, but but let me give you some statistics. In 2018, just two short years ago, there were 36,560 people that died in motor vehicle fatality. The car wreck. In 2000, there were 41,945 people that died. Cell phones was out then. They won this fancy Nokia 3390. You know what I'm saying? Can't destroy that motherfucker. But it's out chill. Not causing problems. Not creating as many wrecks. Or creating more shit. I remember on my... Nokia 3390s. Some of y'all going to be too young to remember this, but it had T9 texting. I mean, I was a motherfucking master. I could text you a whole text message in my pocket, send that shit, and be confident that I send it to you. Like that, when you got those physical buttons, it make a difference, you know. But fuck it. Let's go back before cell phones was a thing. Okay, 1990, we had cell phones in the car, them big-ass fucking brick cell phones. If you had money, they give 44,000 deaths. 44,599 deaths in that year. Shit, let's go back. 1979, 51,000 deaths. So, motor vehicle deaths have decreased. They have decreased. What the fuck are you trying to solve by saying people under 21 can't have a cell phone? And have you broken down the age of people that actually are dying in these fatalities? I would posit that they older than 21. Like, is there an epidemic in Vermont of 21-year-olds and younger dying with a half-finished text message because they had a wreck? I don't know. And suicide rates have been pretty consistent um, since the 80s. I mean, yeah, it's, it's gone up and down. Uh, but at some point, the peak of suicides was higher back in the 80s than it is now. So there were no cell phones back in the 80s. Are we saying that the rise in suicides now have something to do with cell phones? Nigga, everybody got a fucking cell phone. And the amount of suicides that's happening do not justify connecting it to cell phones. You know. And terrorism, too. I'm sure that technology got something to do with terrorism. But what, what does taking cell phones out of the hands of people aged under 21 got to do with that shit? I don't know, man. These politicians, um, and it's a Democrat. He said he introduced the bill on Tuesday to make a point. 
He said, I have no delusions that it's going to pass. What the fuck are you doing with your time? He said, I wouldn't vote it for it. I pro wouldn't probably vote for it myself. Then he said that he thinks owning a cell phone may be more dangerous than owning a gun. See, this is what happens when we vote people in who we just don't know what the fuck they got going on in their head. Imagine how many politicians just sit at their goddamn desk and play, play solitaire all damn day, don't research, don't read, don't have their own damn opinions. They paid for and bought by these corporations who have their own vested interest in that person's success or 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 or, uh, or failure what i don't get it man and this nigga sound like a solitaire playing ass politician because he clearly just got time to make up fake legislation that he don't think gonna fucking pass just to make a point and it ain't got shit to do with shit and ain't gonna help shit you know and what you want just get rid of fucking technology get rid of all technology then but that's why I don't fuck with politics. But it's also why I stay informed because these motherfucking niggas crazy. Now, <laughs> I want to talk about something. I don't fuck with fraternities and sororities and shit like that. I, I stay away from that shit. That ain't my goddamn business, okay? I learned early on in my college career that they take that shit serious as fuck. That secret society bullshit that you know camaraderie just us bullshit and you know nothing against you if you're in a, a fraternity or a sorority that's y'all shit i don't fuck with it um but you know it's just to say it's a secret organization it's an organization with its own secrets it's an organization with its own histories and i've just never fed into that shit i've never desired to be a part of a group one that i had to pay to be a part of and two that i had to go through some kind of uh uh hazing process uh and motherfuckers say they don't haze you know that's that secret shit but we all know kind of what happens in these things um but i my 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 last girlfriend was a zeta i ain't even drink out of her fucking cups with a zeta on it only thing i did was i made a cake it was a zeta cake big ass cake and i collaborated with some people on it and they helped me make it for her but uh, outside of that i don't i don't fuck with none of that shit now boosie boosie y'all know boosie fucking wipe me down boosie don't wore a kappa alpha size sweater and them niggas was mad <laughs> they were mad now Boosie, the way Boosie said, he said he saw a fresh ass shirt. It was red. It was a Kappa shirt. He thought he was going to get some love. Because, you know, like any other thing, like if this was a designer, a local designer, and he wore his shit, love all over the place. It would make that motherfucker a, a, a millionaire overnight. All the black folks going to be wearing that shit now. You know, so Boosie, I guess a lot of celebrities' mindset is that they have that, uh, I'm, what is it? I'm a walking uh, brand ambassador. <laughs> like if I got something in my hand, motherfucker need to be paying me. Like Dave Chappelle said, which one tastes better, Coca Pepsi? Man, whichever one paid me most recently. You know, 
So yeah, he got that power. He got the power to create celebrity out of something that's nothing. So he walk probably walk around with that mindset of I'm finna put this shit on, you know. But the reality is that secret organization shit ain't friendly to nobody that ain't a part of it. It's not. I mean, they got words for us that ain't got shit to do with shit. Like, I was just minding my own fucking business. I was out here not giving a damn that these secret organizations existed. I was not offending nobody in the organization. I ain't say nothing to nobody in this organization. And I got called a fucking GDI. And I was like, what the fuck is that? That is a goddamn individual. This is something that people in fraternities call niggas that ain't in fraternity, you know? And I know those fraternities have them beefs, but they more like friendly beefs. All of them niggas group together to call you names <laughs> when you ain't got shit to do with shit. Let alone if you actually got shit to do with shit, like Boosie, where you out here wearing fucking Kappa gear. You ain't no goddamn Kappa. That fucking Boosie fade ain't gonna save your ass, Boosie. From these niggas in these secret organizations, okay? Um, and Boosie trolled a little bit. You know, Boosie was like, listen, I wear the fuck I want to wear. Shut the fuck up. You know, like, a part of me is like, okay, secret organizations. Why the store? Why can stores sell y'all shit? Like, why don't y'all go after the people who just sell y'all shit nonchalantly? Like, why not have secret shops for y'all shit, too? You know, like, it's something sitting on a rack at a store that a, a fucking GDI, a goddamn individual, can pick up and put on and leave, and y'all can get mad. I don't be mad at the person that sold it to his ass. Like, why don't y'all require there to be some kind of cards or some shit that somebody got to buy? But that's neither here nor there. I guess capitalism, you can't tell somebody what they can or can't carry and who they can or can't sell it to, so you got to put the onus on the person who bought the shit. Which is what's going on with Boosie bad motherfucking ass. Um, I wonder what the Kappa's going to do now because they definitely be on. I know these motherfuckers shimmy and shit to wipe me down. Every one of these motherfucking organizations got to be shimmying and wipe me down. Um, but Boosie um, said, I was in the mall looking for red and saw the sweater. It was hard. Yes, I knew it was a Kappa sweater. I thought I would get love from wearing it, not hate. Calm y'all ass down, bro. I was just getting fresh. Hashtag leave me alone, Boosie wrote. Um, he captioned his post. Y'all pissing me off for real, for real. Be mad at the motherfuckers in the mouth selling them for the low. Don't be mad at me shaking my head. So that's a part of, like, that shit is a part of why I just, I never gave a fuck about fraternities. First off, the only fraternity option I had in the college I went to was to be a Sigma. And I ain't no shit about that. I still don't know shit about it. Uh, I just knew that the dudes that came up to try to court me when it was time to recruit motherfuckers would never throw their hand up or wave or say, what's up, man, or or holler at me in the gym or none of that shit. They just didn't seem to be concerned with people that weren't a part of their crew when it was time to recruit. And then one of them, one of the dudes, this dude was actually cool. He wasn't like, this our shit. If you ain't got on my colors, you ain't. I ain't got time for your ass. He was actually cool, but because I knew a whole bunch of the other dudes in it that I would be in that meeting with, I was like, nah. He was like, look, man, just come on out to IHOP for a dinner, free dinner. Come on out. And I was like, mom, ain't, ain't no such thing as a free lunch. Okay? 
So I'm going to go out here and get a high-pressure sale situation and sign my name on the paper, you know, and start some kind of process. I, I didn't have time for that. I, I saw I saw through that shit, and I was like, listen, man, you're going to be wasting your money if I come out there and get a meal, and I just didn't, didn't go. Um, he was persistent, but that's not my thing. Uh, so, those of you who ain't in the fraternity, let that shit go, man. That ain't got nothing to do with you. Let them niggas have their secret clubhouse. And um, and you figure out a way to live your best life without their colors on. Or wear their colors and be ready to be roasted. You know, it's people out here faking the funk now. It's people out here who be wearing that shit because they either wanted to be in a fraternity or there's some people who were online to be in a fraternity and somehow that line got dropped. I mean, it's so many fucking subjective reasons a line can get dropped, man. One person can just be an asshole and... They dropped the whole line, and it's a series of niggas out there who lost their opportunity to do that shit. And they out here wearing colors and shit. Let motherfucker ask you questions that you supposed to know the answer to and you don't know. Boy, you going to get your ass flame broiled out here like on a Burger King goddamn conveyor belt. All right. What else is going on? Okay, so something happened. Do y'all know Google Google 93-year-old? Google 93-year-old. I'm doing it now. And look at images. And look at what some 93-year-old motherfuckers look like, okay? Now, clearly, there's going to be a difference between white 93-year-olds and black 93-year-olds. There's going to be a difference between Asian and Latino 93-year-olds. But nonetheless... Look at what 93-year-olds look. Boy, these white people be aging like cottage cheese on this shit. Damn. It's science, y'all. I'm not being offensive. It's just, you know, they don't have melanin. And, you know, every brown culture has melanin, some more, some less. And uh, when you don't have melanin, the sun is literally just destroying your life the whole time. And I hate to make the reference to cottage cheese. If that offends you, I'm, I'm sorry that you... Age like cottage cheese. I'm sorry. It's just what it is. But there's a 93-year-old man that that came into his apartment or complex um, office and shot the apartment manager in both legs over water damage in his unit. This man is Robert Thomas. Now, I want y'all to look up Robert Thomas. I want you to look up his picture. One, the old picture of him, like his just the 93-year-old picture of him, it looks so bad. It it's clearly this man has seen some shit. Now what he seen was the police grab his ass and throw his ass on the ground. Okay. He got a little blood on his head. He probably got a brain bleed. Ribs probably broke. Like, you 93 years old, boy, you are fragile as shit. Like if you 93 and you were being sent somewhere in a package through UPS, that shit will say. Fragile this side up. Because if an old person stay upside down for too long and all that blood go to their head, they're going to have some fucking complications. Okay? 90 fucking three years old. This man came in here with a pistol and shot this nigga twice. But when you see that picture, I want y'all to understand. Not all of y'all are going to understand this reference, but if a motherfucker come into your place of employment 
or in your face dressed like Raymond Reddington, just get the fuck on about your business, okay? Because this old man came in this motherfucker dressed like Raymond Reddington. Raymond Reddington is a character from the Blacklist who is just a, he's a charming character, but he's a killer. He's a charming character, but sometimes to get shit done, you got to put some bullets in the motherfucker. This nigga came in like he was a goddamn hitman in the 60s. Motherfucker got on his goddamn bowler hat or fedora hat, whatever that shit is. Got his long sleeve coat, black coat on. And this motherfucker like, this ain't shit to me. In the 60s, I shot people in the head for less, motherfucker. You lucky I'm showing you in your goddamn legs for this water damage. I pay rent in this bitch. And y'all gonna fix this motherfucker shit. And I understand, man. Apartment complexes be on some other shit, man. You come and say, hey, I got mold problems. Come and fix this mold. And they don't fix shit. They just like paint over the area on your wall where you say there's mold at. Okay, we'll just paint over this shit. You know, you say come fix my shower or, or my dishwasher or something. And you come back and it, a regulator been put in your shit. You don't even get the same power that you get. I don't even know what you got to turn on or off in a house for the hot water to last shorter than it used to they do that shit sometimes too you know i mean apartment complex be on some bullshit they do shit that piss you off i ain't never thought about going in my goddamn apartment complex office and shooting motherfucking the leg twice i ain't never thought about that shit you know but then again at 93 i may have less fucks to give hopefully at 93 i can fucking still walk hopefully you know, I just, but you know, a part of me says that if an old, really all of me says if an old 93-year-old person come in, I'm going to go try to help them. You know, they probably going to be opening the slow all door all slow and frail and shit. They're going to be shaking with their hand, opening the door, and I'm going to go help them. I'm going to get my ass shot in the legs. Like, this nigga could not have thought at any point that he was in no goddamn danger. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't think that a 93-year-old finna come fuck me up. Why would I? Motherfucker 93, and he know he 93. He probably also know what kind of tenant he is. He might not even be harmful. Or he could be the kind of tenant that say, hey, can you get some maintenance man up here because uh, I'm, this water is damaged. I'm going to shoot you in your legs. And they'd be like, oh, God damn it, Robert. This Robert is so goddamn silly. Hey, everybody, Robert said he's going to shoot me in the legs. Oh, Robert. Now, be black and say that shit. You're getting kicked out, okay? Be middle-aged, white or black, say that shit. These days, you're going to get kicked out. No matter who you is, if you're middle-aged, that's just some threatening shit to say if you, you got the potential. But see, like old people getting them passes, like an old person that fart, motherfuckers don't. Motherfuckers don't be like, Oh, you stinking ass old big motherfucker. You know, they say that shit to me because I'm 35 and I can hold my butt cheeks enough to not fart in a place where people don't want to smell or hear no damn farts. But a 93-year-old, man, they bowels and shit, they ass muscles ain't as, as, ain't as firm. You know what I'm saying? They got damn, they been, they spent 93 years clenching their butt cheeks. Well, let's say 90. 90, 90 or 91 because you know when you a kid you don't do it either you but it ain't because you you ain't you can't it's just you don't know to at that point you gotta learn to clench your butt cheeks and go use the bathroom at some point you know 
This motherfucker been holding his butt cheeks together for 93 years, and we get him a pass. We be like, oh, that was a poop. Oh, so cute. You know, he can't help it. He can't help it. Don't worry about Robert. He can't help them farts. Oh, we give him passes. I do, too. Like, my old motherfucker do something on the road. When a car do something on the road and I don't know who's driving, I pass by my bed. Oh, they, they a senior. You know, it's unfortunate that we don't look at seniors in our society like uh, Asian culture, but they seniors be praised. If you old in Asian culture, that means you got damn, you got wisdom. You know, we see our elderly as a goddamn end of a life cycle burden. You know, it's crazy. It's very crazy. Um. So I, I yeah, I would, I would have been taken by surprise. This motherfucker used a nine millimeter and shot three times, and he made several threats. You know, and like I said, if I was sitting on my computer doing shit and Robert was standing in there with his ninety three old ass, and was like, "I'm gonna shoot you, I'm gonna shoot you," I might look at him crazy, but I'm gonna be like, "Robert ain't finna shoot no goddamn body." You know, and I guess that's how it always go. Nobody think they was going to get shot until they did. Because if so, they just, I guess they wouldn't have. Um, 93 years old, charged with attempted murder with a deadly weapon, kidnapping with a deadly weapon, discharge of a firearm within a structure, burglary with a firearm, and carrying a goddamn concealed weapon. Look, I bet that motherfucker, I bet they finna put some bodies on his ass, boy. They finna go back to the 60s, some cold cases, and find out this nigga fingerprints been all over some bullshit. You just don't, you just don't get 93 years old and say, I'm gonna shoot a motherfucker today. Bruh, I'm 93, and I'm tired of these motherfuckers. I'm gonna go get me a pistol, and I'm gonna shoot a motherfucker. They don't do that, you don't do that shit. 93 years old, man. I don't know, I don't think so. Um... So it's 2020, y'all. Start writing them dates, 2020, on those uh, documents correctly. But we lost some motherfuckers in 2019. And the clock is reset. So we get to see who we lose in 2020. Uh, We lost James Ingram. He's a recording artist. He he sang a song that was called I Don't Have the Heart. I don't have the heart to hold you. It was actually hurt you, not hold you. Because um, clearly, why would you not have the heart to hold somebody? That don't make sense. I said the wrong word. Uh, which I've been doing a lot lately. I think it got something to do with the amount of Vitamins on my diet. I gotta figure that shit out. Uh, Christoph St. John. He's one of those daytime um, drama series. Like, you know, General Hospital. All my children are one of them shows. He died. I don't know much about him. Uh, Nipsey Hussle. Um, that icon for a culture. Um, I ain't listen to him. You know. Uh, I don't know if I'm gonna listen to him post-mortem or not, but I guess time will tell. John Singleton, you know, you're a fan of some movies like 
Boys in the Hood or Poetic Justice, then you can thank John Singleton for that. He passed away. Um, Bushwick Bill. If you know anything about the Ghetto Boys, then you'll know who Bushwick Bill is. He's kind of the hype man uh, of that. Uh, Pernell Whitaker, a boxer. Die. Tony Morrison, a political activist, writer. Uh, I'm going through a list real quick. Diane Carroll. She passed away. Elijah Cummings. That was a hard one. John Conyers. That was a hard one. Hardest one of them all was John Witherspoon for me. Just given my uh, media history and past the things that I listened to. Um, it ended with Juice World. Uh, young rapper. I didn't listen to him. But uh, I think he got a song on the uh, Spider-Man Into the Multiverse, Into the Spider-Verse soundtrack. Uh, but we reset now and I guess we expect older people to die at some point but when Juice World and the Nipsey dies you know it's a different kind of hard because whether I fool with their music or not it represents your own mortality you know they were both younger than me you know, and sometimes when somebody dies that you don't expect to die, yeah, it represents your own mortality and your own limitations in life. And it's like, this could happen. This could happen to anybody. Okay. It could happen to anybody. Sorry about that uh, background noise. Just uh, trying to figure this out. So how many of y'all remember reading Rainbow? Take a look. It's in a book of reading Rainbow. And if you don't remember, how many of you watched Community? Where there was an episode in which Childish Gambino, in that show known as Troy, identified one of his childhood heroes as LeVar Burton. And he was like, but you don't meet your childhood heroes. And... The character in the show, Pierce, his goal was to get back at everybody in the show. That This episode, that was Chevy Chase's character. And he hired LeVar Burton to come and meet Childish Gambino, and he broke down. So if you don't know him from when he was doing Reading Rainbow, then maybe you know him from this episode of Community where, you know, they referenced Reading Rainbow. Uh... What he has done now is released a YouTube video series on what it's like to be black in America. And you know what? I am interested in this motherfucker. Okay. Um, this is what LeVar Burton says. Spoiler alert. Unless you have walked the walk of the African-American experience in this country, it is difficult, not impossible, but difficult to know what that journey is on the daily. Trust me when I say being black in America is not for the weak of heart. As a result, I fervently believe in the power of storytelling to move the culture forward. To that end, some friends and I have created a few videos, six in all, that chronicle some of the racist experience most black people who live in America have in common. I'm interested to see 
especially from a celebrity's perspective, and you know, I don't know how Le how much LeVar Burton is worth, but let's find out. LeVar Burton net worth. Around $6 million. So I don't know what he do to keep getting $6 million a year or for his net worth to just generally be $6 million. I, guess, I don't understand net worth, I guess. Somebody can maybe help me understand that. I don't. Net worth, does that mean that all you have in your world is $6 million? That's all you worth? Or does that mean that's pretty much how much you maintain financially? I don't know. Uh, say he worth $6 million. So, uh, but you don't see him on TV. But I ain't no telling. He could be doing so many other things. Endorsements and shit. All kind of shit. Uh, or maybe he maybe he getting that. Maybe net worth is a combination of all the residual income that they make that provide that money for. I don't know. But I'm interested to see how a celebrity tells the story of racism from their lens of being a celebrity. Uh so Trevor Noah has these little sections between the show where he just have candid conversations with the audience or with the guests or whatever. And he had a conversation with Oprah and he asked a really good question. He said, Oprah, you have been rich for more than half of your life at this point. Do you still have common bullshit? He said like this experiences that poor people have like that. We all have like, you know, like, do you ever get to the bathroom and realize, Oh, ain't no toilet paper on the roll. Um, and Oprah was like, no, uh, whoever changes the toilet paper, which this is how disconnected she is from that shit. Because if somebody in her house changing her toilet paper, she don't even know who the fuck it is, right? Like if somebody was coming to my shit cleaning up, I need to know your name. I want to have a conversation or exchange with you every now and then. Like my secrets is in here. Like if you were a spy and you came and look at my internet browser history, like you judge me sometimes, some days, you know, uh, but I need to know that. So she got people in her house that she don't even know who the fuck it is. And they changing her goddamn toilet paper to make sure that she's never out of toilet paper. So, like, is what in her life is normal? And I don't know why the fuck she chose this. I think that she's so rich, she can't conceptualize normal. She really just kind of identifies something that was irritating. She said, you know what? I always bring avocados with me because buying avocados is is ridiculous. The markables on, on avocados is ridiculous. So I have an avocado orchard. He was like, stop, Oprah. No, stop. This is no longer regular. Like, carrying avocados with you ain't regular, but now you you just rich again now. Like, this ain't a regular, normal per bullshit that people deal with. Like, regular people buy avocados at that crazy-ass markup, okay? that's That's what they do. They don't have the option to just carry avocados with you that were cheap because they came from your own fucking avocado orchard. But the fact, I think Oprah answered it in the terms of something that she deals with, ha would have to deal with, that she sees as a problem. She just got a solution for it. Nobody else got a solution. He was asking, like, what is the normal shit that you... You fuck with like do you ever step in dog shit? Like I would have asked, like, do you ever step in dog dookie? Like when's the last time you stepped in dog dookie? Like everybody who lives in the area that has dogs step in dog dookie every now and then. Have you when the last time you had some dog dookie on your shoe? You know? When was the last time that happened? When was the last time you was wiping your ass and a piece of toilet paper tore off and got stuck between your butt cheeks? You know, and you had to get another 
toilet paper, you know, bunch to get the toe up toilet paper from between your ass. Now, you don't have to do that shit if you use good-ass toilet paper, okay? So, use good-ass toilet paper. Don't use one-ply. But that shit's happened before. When was the last time you was using cheap toilet paper and you was wiping and your finger went through? And now you got dookie finger. Listen, fuck you. I am not the only one that shit done happened to. You motherfuckers may not want to admit it. You may have tried to put that shit out of your brain, out of your memory. That shit done happened to your ass. When was the last time you threw up uncontrollably all over some of your shit? Whether it was your floor or something. Like Oprah go through some regular shit that everybody go through. You know, I don't know. Maybe when Oprah throw up, she just ring a bell and motherfuckers just come out of nowhere, just appear and just clean that shit up and go. And she don't got to deal with it like, like we do with it. But there is like some common shit that happens to everybody. So there's a difference between really, there's no difference between racism that rich people experience in America as it pertains to white people, you know, versus poor people. We all get the same shit from white people. It may be a difference in between black people and how a wealthy black person live and what kind of racism they deal with, you know? But it's just a different struggle. And so I'm interested in what struggle he's going to tell. Is it going to feel like he understands my experience talking about how it feels to be a, a, in black the black community? I wonder who he collaborated with with this project, you know? I wonder how far he's disconnected from the average racism experience or i wonder how much racism he experienced that i don't know about like i said my brother is in hollywood you know we talked to him earlier he the roles he done played has been drug dealer drug dealer athlete security guard security guard security guard like snitch <laughs> drug dealer past drug dealer new snitch he played them roles so if my brother get fucking not even famous famous, but like if he just get consistent roles, it's probably still going to be that stereotypical shit. In order to get out of them bullshit ass roles, you got to be, you got to get to like Will Smith status and you could be a fucking hero and shit. You know, you can be what you want to be when you get to that status, but until then, and then we don't even know what roles they done have for Will Smith and them big stars that, that indicate you this, you're doing this because I'm black. This is why you asked me this, because I'm black. You know? So, I don't know. I don't know. But it is what it is. Um, I'm going to watch the series, I think. Uh, I don't watch a lot of shit, but I'm trying to watch more this year. I talked to you all about that on my uh, 2020 episode about some of the goals that I have. And uh, hopefully I'll be, I'll be able to watch it. Um, listen, a man in a fucking Philadelphia pharmacy came to rob the goddamn store. They came to rob the pharmacy and he left a note saying, I'm sorry, I have a sick child. Oh man, what the fuck do you do about that shit? Clearly, robbery is bad. Taking is bad. But hey, we fuck with Robin Hood though, don't we? I remember being told a story about Robin Hood when I was young. Robin Hood stole from the rich 
and gave to the poor. Now, the government didn't fuck with Robin Hood at all, you know? But we fuck with Robin Hood when I was young. And no teacher ever told me that Robin Hood is an enemy of capitalism and an enemy of American ideals. And uh, he's a thief for good. No, what? How can you be a thief for good? That don't make no fucking sense. I mean, his intentions and his motives were pure, but the way that he went about that shit was fucked up. Okay. So we got a man that's taken to provide for a sick child. I guess I wonder how sick. And then I wonder, like, is he still in Dayquil? I don't know. Or do he got do he need some real nigga medication? I don't know. I wonder what he what work he put in to try to get his child some help before that. I wonder. I wonder what he tried to do for that. I don't know. I wonder if the article says what he tried to take. Let's see. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So it Kennebrew. Uh the police sergeant, you know, clearly the police ain't never gonna just have this shit justified. Um he understands that people have needs. We all need to be reminded that theft is just not the way about go about fulfilling those needs. You know, it's crazy, man. You could be laying on the floor dying like hell and about to go in an old lady's purse to get the thing you need to survive. And they're going to be like, hey, 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 I know you're dying. I know you're dying. But this ain't the way to go about it, my boy. I probably lost my place because I got on a 20-minute phone call. I feel like I was still talking about uh, the dude with the sick child and whatnot. Uh we know healthcare in America is a problem. Uh, the biggest part of that problem is that there's a whole underclass of people who have no idea where their next treatment gonna come from, where their next uh, medication gonna come from, where they are worried about the possibility of they get hurt and your child. You know what I'm saying? This that whole John Q shit. You know what I'm saying? Like. Some people will go to links that they would never have went to otherwise to save their kids, man. Anyway, that's where I'm going to end the show. Uh, I appreciate y'all for listening to me. Uh, next week, we'll be back to regular shit. Uh, this show is being released really late because it's 925, but give me 30 minutes. I'll have it in. But you won't have to worry about that 30 minutes by the time you're listening to it because you got it. Holla at your boy. And until we come to the next conversation, I'm out. Mm-hmm.